Brother Stuart, not brother, let me start over again. Stuart Hambland, not a brother in Christ, was in the office of the famous movie actor John Wayne. They had been old drinking buddies, but Stuart was trying to go straight. And when John Wayne offered him a, an alcoholic drink, he refused. And when John Wayne wanted to know why, he said, It is no secret what God can do. He had been lamenting the fact that he had not written a hit song in quite some time. That night, Stuart Hamblin went home, and that answer that he had given John Wayne kept going over and over in his mind. It is no secret what God can do. And he that night sat down and wrote the words to the song that was destined to make Stuart Hamblin famous. The song is in our songbook. If you want to turn to number 493, that will set forth the theme for our lesson tonight. And I want to go over the words to let those sink into our minds before we go with the challenges. The chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you? You may have longed for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be disheartened. I bring hope to you. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. I have thought of that theme many a time through the years. The time came when I said I must develop a sermon. It is no secret what God can do. I start with the fact that it is no secret the power of God's Word, and then we will go, after we have examined that, to the effect that the Savior Jesus Christ can have in a life. It is no secret what God can do. And I want to warm our hearts tonight with the thought that if you will just give God half a chance, God will work in your life in a mighty way. And I am standing before you as proof. In fact, the people who knew me as a young man growing up uh, graduated from a little high school outside of Elk City, Oklahoma. Um, they had a hard time believing that I could become a preacher, much less where I am today. I'm just simply not proud of that. You understand, please. I'm simply living proof of what God can do. 
I'm going to tell you a little story that I have never told in public that I can remember of the turning point of my life at Oklahoma Christian. And I know we have at least one of uh, alumni here tonight. I was not going to go to Oklahoma Christian. I was going with a girl who was not a Christian. My mother was very upset with me. And one night she came in and sat on my bed. And she said, Jimmy, why don't you think about going to Oklahoma Christian? I was in, in my head in mind, I was going to Mogi Tech School. I was going to follow uh, a, uh, a career in uh, heating and air. And uh, uh, my mother, though, was begging me to go to Oklahoma Christian. And I was not planning to go. And then she pulled the one that's a no-no. She started crying. I could not stand to see my mother cry. She said, just one semester. And in anger, I said, okay. Well, I always did what I said I'd do. So mid-semester, I'd already laid out from uh, junior college and had to work to be able to buy a car. We were poor as old Job's turkey. I went, started to semester, mid-semester. And I was put into a room with two very good men. And... Uh, I was having a very difficult time with analytical geometry. And Oklahoma Christian was going to be singing uh, the, the, the chorus in Edmond. And my roommate, Jerry Postfischel, <clears throat> wanted to go, but he didn't have a car. I did, but I would not even drive my car. My car, and it's going to stay that way. And he really wanted to go. And I was really up to my eyeballs with analytical geometry. Finally, I wasn't getting it, and I said, okay, let's go. Little did I know that was the turning point of my life. What I realize now is, I didn't think that I could be caliber to be a preacher. The preacher boys up here, but when I went to OC, I saw the preacher boys were human beings. That, that's within my reach. That night in Edmond, I'll never forget it, Jonathan Edwards' song, God's Trombones, Gary Rayburn stepped out with the O.C. chorus behind him. God said, I will make me a man. And he went through that, and I sat there, and I started crying. And I said, Jimmy, you've been the biggest fool that ever walked. You've been throwing your life away. I'd already had two fights on Oklahoma Christian campus. You get kicked out of school doing that, don't you, brother? And on the way home, I said, Jerry, don't laugh. 
I'm going to be a preacher. He became a preacher. He said, I hope you can. (laughs) He really did. That's what he said. I hope you can. And I was taken that night. Oh, I'd been baptized as a young man. But I'd not been. It didn't take. I I, I don't know why I did it. Let me tell you something. That night we went to Edmond, and that night I gave my life to the Lord. Jerry baptized me into Christ, and I never looked back. I immediately said, well, the smoking has got to go, and the cussing has got to go, and the fighting has got to go. And I went and saw Brother Stafford North to change my major. The Bible. People, I tell you that story so you will understand where I'm coming from. As I pour out my heart, it is no secret what God can do if you will just turn loose and let God. The words power and powerful are associated with the Bible. There are four things that the the Bible tells us the word can do. I like the King James translation of Psalms 19 verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The New American Standard says, uh, restoring the soul. The NIV says, reviving the soul. So, the word of God is powerful. This can restore, convert, revive, whatever uh, you want, word you want to put there. I'm telling you that this word, if you will just, with faith, read it and let it come into you and permeate you, it can change your life. Romans 1 verse 16 says, Uh, The gospel is the power of God to salvation. That word power is from the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English words dynamite and dynamic. That's the claim, that this word is dynamite to blow sin out of our hearts and let us be new creatures. The word can do that. Jesus even said in John 15, 3, He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. The word of God is living and active. The King James says, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of soul and and, uh, spirit and uh, joint and marrow, and is a, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God can convict and convert Secondly, the Word of God can save. We've already looked at Romans 1, verse 16. Uh, Let's look at James 1, verse 21. As it says, Receive the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Thirdly, the Word can build and sustain. I commend you to the Word of God and His grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified uh, by faith in me. John, rather, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. One of my favorite 
poets, Helen Steiner Rice, has written the poem, Holy Bread. I love it. He lived in a palace on a mountain of gold, surrounded by riches and wealth untold, priceless possessions and treasures of art, but he died alone of a hungry heart. For a man cannot live by bread alone, no matter what he may have or own. For though he reaches his earthly goal, he'll waste away with a starving soul. But he who eats of holy bread will always find his spirit fed. And even the poorest of men can afford the feast at the table prepared by the Lord. In John 20, 30 and 31, The passage says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his apostles, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing you might have life through his name. So the word of God has that power to build us up. But the word of God also has power to convict and sometimes to condemn. Two passages from the book of Jeremiah The first one is Jeremiah 5 and verse 14. Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, Behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire in his people wood, and it will consume them. In Jeremiah 29 and verse 20, rather 23 and verse 29, we find it is not, is not my words like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters the rock. I'm telling you that the Word of God can take that worst old reprobate sinner and can break that heart of rock and can help them to become a new person. That I know because I have used the Word that way. I have seen it happen many, many a time. One of those people is sitting right here, Dwayne Kelly. I'll never forget the first time that I saw Dwayne Kelly. I hope this doesn't embarrass you, Brother Dwayne. He had hair that he could set on. He stuck his head. The service was over at Walnut Campbell in Hutchinson. And I was standing at the back getting ready. We were singing the last song. This door opened and this man stuck his head in and it was Dwayne. And I thought, well, there's another tramp and we're going to have to take care of him and feed him. And you know what he said? He says, I've been talking to a man out in Kinsley and he said to look up Jimmy Keys. And that was the beginning. Brother Dwayne became finally after we studied and he was baptized and Um, All of that, he became even one of our bus captains, but that's another story for another time. So Brother Dwayne and I go way back, and uh, and, um, I never will forget the time you walked in, Dwayne, you'd cut your hair, and I thought, that's a good-looking man. (laughs) Anyway, uh, sorry about that. That's a little aside I had not put in my notes for sure. While it is no secret, it never ceases to amaze me. What God can do and how he can change people. Matthew 7 verse 16 is repeated in verse 20. You shall know them by their fruits. And Jesus goes on and talks about the fact that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So let me ask you, what kind of fruit does the Bible bear? Oh, I like this. You're going to like this illustration. From the Fort Cobb, I mean Fort Collins a Colorado bulletin comes 
the next illustration. A gospel preacher and a, and a vowed atheist were in debate on the effect of the Bible. And the atheist was trying to get the, the crowd to believe that the Bible was just another book. There was, uh, there was no power inherent within it. And he was making his point. When it came time for the gospel preacher to get up, he presented the following scenario. He said, what if, what if you were driving in a large city and got lost in an extremely dangerous and violent part of town? And as you turned down a dark street, your car suddenly died. And there you were. And then suddenly here comes a group of men toward you. Would it make any difference if you were to know that they were just coming from a Bible study? And after the audience stopped laughing, the atheist said, yes, I have to admit it would ease my fears if I knew that that group of men were coming from a Bible study. At least he was honest. Did you ever hear of a man say, I used to steal and lie, get drunk and beat my family and break up homes and uh, I would beat people as far as, the, uh, as my debts were concerned. And I started reading atheistic material and, uh, and books on, on uh, doubt. And now I am changed. I treat my family decently. I pay my debts. I, I've, uh, I live a moral life. I try to be a good neighbor and a good citizen. And that's the influence that those books have had on me. Have you ever heard of that? No, nor indeed ever will you. Homer and Plato did not do so much for Greece, nor Cicero or Virgil for Rome, nor Confucius for China. As the sake in all the sacred books of the East, whatever you want, just run them by. They have not done. But this volume I hold in my hand has done for the world. And I'm now going to tell you a true story. My wife is here so she can verify it because it almost seems like it ain't real. But I'm telling you it is. Janet and I got married and moved immediately to Texoma, Oklahoma. Very soon we were expecting our first child. And... Uh, it was less than a year after I had moved there, I could tell that the finances just were not working out for me. So I told the elders that I either was going to have to get more money, which there wasn't more money in the budget, or I was going to have to get a job, or I was going to have to move. And they said, okay, we'll let you get a secular job, which I did. And I started working for the Texoma sale barn. I've been raised on a farm. I know cattle, and that's no problem. But they teamed me up with the most foul-mouthed, tobacco-chewing, filthiest, dirtiest man in the county. The first time I saw Ralph Evans, 
he had come into the restaurant there with the sail barn, and I thought he was a tramp, just came in to get out of the cold, and he'd be hitchhiking on down the road. I never will forget the first, the first day after we had fed the cattle, and we had to start, but it was still dark, my, my, and it was cold. And we fed the cattle, and then we were re- receiving cattle. And uh, the wind was blowing, and oh, it was bitter cold. And they had a little, out, I call it an outhouse, it wasn't, it was about that size though, that we sat in waiting for the next truck to back the cattle in. And there he was, chewing his cud, as I called it. And uh, he had, he wasn't a clean man at all. And uh, we were sitting across from each other, and he said, Now, what do you do the rest of the week? I said, I'm a preacher, and I thought he was going to swallow his cud. (laughs) Come to find out, he had been raised in the church. He was married and had a family, and his wife was in depression. All she would do is sit and smoke her cigarettes, drink her coffee, and watch television. She even The, the room was so dark that when you came in, because that was the only light was the television, when you came in, you had to shut the door and let your eye get acquainted to be able to find her. Unless she sucked on her cigarette and you could tell where she was. Well, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story because the story is, what can God's Word do? The time would come. My wife, bless her heart, she was about seven months pregnant, as I recall, maybe eight. Her and the church women helped to go in and clean up that house, but even Ralph's bedroom was off limits to them. The time would come when we would restore Ralph, baptize Nina, and as I remember, a few of the other grandchildren in the family. And the time would come, I would move on to Hutchinson, and I'd be called back to preach Ralph's funeral, and Nina would move to Amarillo, and guess what? She would become a nurse in a rest home. And I'm telling you that story so you will know people can change. And the Word of God can make a difference. But it is no secret what Jesus in a person's heart can do. I have a reading here that dates way, way back. I first remember seeing it on television. And even as a teenager, I was impressed. As I recall, uh, it was on a Lawrence Welk show. And I don't remember the man that, that did the reading. And I wish I could do it with the finesse that he did. But this was written by Cynthia Ann Moss. And if you would like to have a copy of this afterwards, I would be glad for you to. In fact, this came from the Gospel Advocate, May 17, 1956. It's called The Influence of Jesus. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village, and that a despised one. He worked in a carpenter shop for 30 years, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book, he never held an office, he never went to college, he never owned a home, he never had a family, he never put his foot inside a really big city, he 
He never traveled except in his infancy more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. Uh, he was nailed on a cross between two thieves. His executors gambled for the only piece of property between two thieves. He had a piece of property he had on earth, his seamless robe. When he was dead, he was taken down from the cross and laid in a borrowed grave through the courtesy of a friend. Nineteen wide centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is the centerpiece of the human race, the leader of all progress. I am well within my mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, and all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever ruled, put together, have never affected the life of man on this earth like this one solitary personality. All time dates from his birth, and it is impossible to understand or interpret the progress of human civilization in any nation on earth apart from his influence. Slowly through the ages, man is coming to realize that the greatest necessity in the world is not water, iron, gold, food, or clothing, but rather Christ enshrined in human hearts, thoughts, and motives. And all I can say is amen. That's the influence of Jesus. Wherever he went, he divided people into two groups. There would be the believers, and then there would be the non-believers. In John chapter 12, after he had raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, in verse 19 we're told the, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, said, the whole world has gone after him. In other words, what they were saying is, we've got to kill Lazarus. We don't know what we're going to do with this Jesus, yada, yada, yada. Later in that chapter, in John 12, 32 and 33, Jesus would speak of something else that would tend to draw people. In fact, uh, he said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And this he said, signifying what death he should die. And so he was basically saying that his death on the cross would be a drawing factor. When Jesus comes into a person's life, they just cannot be the same again. If any, man, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, so says 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And that process, and we had three baptisms this morning. Uh, some of you had left when we had the third one. But uh, it's been a great day as far as that is concerned. And it's because God has been working in this place for a long, long time. Uh, there are a lot of people that have been working. One woman told me, said that she had worked with one of the people that was baptized for two years. And so, God be blessed. But it's called a new birth, John chapter 3. That's what it's called. It, is, it changes people so much that it's called a new birth. It is an experience 
But it's more than that. It is a change. And it is no secret what God can do. He is able to save to the uttermost. That's what uh, Hebrews 7 verse 25 says. Other translation says forever or completely. Uh, John 6 verse 68. To whom shall we go? His disciples asked. You have the words of eternal life. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Have you seen men trying to find happiness? They seem to be always on the go. And they're not satisfied. There's just something there that's not there. I know what it is that they need. They need the Lord. They need the peace that comes from knowing that all is well with their soul. I would strongly urge people to do as 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord in your heart. That means give him a place. Let him have the throne room of your heart. Let him begin to steer your life, and you will be so glad that you did. As I said, there are three that already have done that, and I'm not so sure, but what there might be one or more that says, you know, I've been playing at this thing of being a Christian, and uh, I need to be a genuine, 100% all out, God's got me, and he can do with me whatever he wants. You want to rededicate your life to the Lord. I want to close uh, the lesson tonight by repeating the words of that song. And as I do, I would like for those to permeate your being. The chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you You may have longed for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be disheartened, for I bring hope to you. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others. He'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God there is anyone in need of this invitation tonight in any way, if you would respond while together we stand and sing.